tonight I'm going to start over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about what Jesus said about money. And so interesting night. Don't worry. Roll over on your wallet. I'm not going to take up an offering. Um, but I do want to talk to you about uh, the importance of money and how often it, it's mentioned in Scripture a, a number of times. And how many can say money is what makes the world go round? Well, let me rephrase that. Money is what makes our world go round here in America, right? Because uh, if, it, if it wasn't for money, many of us wouldn't have houses, wouldn't have cars, and wouldn't have clothes and, and different things. Many of us have jobs because we want need, right? Uh, most of us don't go to work just for the fun of it. Most of us go to work because we need to make money. And um, here's the thing. We cannot exist in our society without money. And, and that's the truth. Uh, it's, it's how we buy and it's how we sell goods and services. Um, many of us and many people work 40 hours a week to make a living to provide a, provide a house or to buy a car, food for your family, family utilities. And even sometimes uh, that includes our entertainment, right? And uh, the Bible has a lot to say about money. It really does. Um, it warns of the pursuit of money and that that pursuit of money can cause problems in one's faith. How many, how many can know that? Um, there was a businessman by the name of Howard Dayton who would uh, study the Bible, and he concluded back in 1973 that if you go through the Bible, there are 2,300 verses pertaining to money in some form or function, whether they just mention money in passing or whatever the case. And how many know that that's a lot of verses? Anyone want to take a guess how many verses there are pertaining to faith and prayer? You are spot on, Carrie Poole. About 500. It's, it's interesting. You, you must be researching the same research. Crown, there you go. Look at that. Taking Crown Financial. So has anybody ever been through uh, Dave Ramsey's course? Anybody been through Crown Financial? Any of those those things? Okay. A few people have. Um, and those are, are things that uh, can help us. And the, uh, But the Bible has a lot to say about money. Um, Jesus, matter of fact, out of his 39 parables, he used 11 of them to talk about money and to reference money in them in some form or function so uh, that's a that's another one um, but here's what we need to understand money itself is not evil all right money itself is not evil if you take a dollar bill out of your pocket it has done nothing evil but you can take that same dollar bill and put that in the hands of somebody and that money can become evil amen and so uh, money is not evil, but, uh, but money can make a man's heart evil. Uh, you know, I'll give you a good example. You only have to look at the drug cartel. Why do they, keep, why do they go to such great uh, effort to bring drugs illegally into the nations? Um, why? Because so they can make money. They don't care about the addict. They don't care about the person's life that they're destroying. You know why? Because their hearts are evil and they want money. And so uh, there, there's an example. So Jesus had a lot to talk about money concerning the believer. And uh, just so you know, this is not a financial peace class. Uh, uh, if you follow Jesus' teaching concerning money, though, you will have peace. All right. I'm, all right. This is not a financial peace class, but if you follow Jesus' teaching on money, you will have peace. All right? And so uh, it's interesting, um, and this is not a class to, to tell you, to teach you how to invest. But if you follow Jesus' words, you will reap abundantly above what you could ask for. Amen? And uh, this is not a class to tell you. Uh, how to uh, invest, but or or to or uh, and it's not a strategy class, but following Jesus, He will give you wisdom on how to handle money, and how to operate with money. Amen. And so, uh, there the, the key to money, as a believer, the key to money is this right here, the heart. It's the heart. 
It starts here, and how you deal with money starts right here in your heart. And the, the, I love Jesus. He just gets straight at it. He goes right, right for the heart, not the jugular, but he goes right for the heart. And I want to look at uh, three things tonight, um, talking about things that Jesus talked about money. Um, and, and first one is this, and you can write these down if you're a note taker. Number one is this, the priority uh, on money, all right, the priority on money in our life, and the second one is the contentment of money in our life, okay, the contentment of money in our life, and the last one is this, and the faith we have uh, with our money, okay, the faith that we have with our money. So I want to look at these, these three things tonight, and so the first one we're going to talk about priorities. Everyone say priorities. Priorities. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Uh, talking about priorities with with money. And Jesus comes out, he's pretty pointed here, um, right off the get-go. I love this. And um, it says this right here. It says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now look at this. Here's the important part of this scripture. You cannot serve God and you cannot serve God and, all right, so pretty, pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. So if there's like a little subheading, if you want to write this down underneath there, um, and this is what I want to talk about on priorities, there's only room for one number one. There's only room for one number one, okay? Uh, there can only be one person that is number one. There cannot be two number ones. We can't be a split in our agenda. So here's an example. Consider this. Um, everybody in here has the same amount of time in the day, right? Does anybody have any extra time in the day? We all, we all have 24 hours, right? Everybody in here has 24 hours. So here, here's the example. Uh, you only have 24 hours in the day. And you can't add a second to a day. You can, you can lose time by maybe some of the things that you do. But, but you know, many of us try to multitask to, to save time. Anybody do that? Say, say a few words when many will do it. Some of you, okay, that's a reference. Some of you will get. Some of you don't understand what I'm saying. Um, but some of us, we try to multitask to save time, right? Um, it's, not, uh, it's not the amount of time in the day, but, but Jesus understood something. It is what is driving your time that's what matters. So who's in the driver's seat of the time in your life? Is it your job? Is it your, your family? I mean, what, what, what takes uh, the bulk of your time? And, and um, you know, many can ride in a car, but only one person can drive. Because if you have many drivers, you're going to have an accident, Right. There's a reason that I, my kids are in the back seat and not in my lap when I'm driving because there can only be one driver. Um, same as time in the day, same goes for our finances. Have you ever asked this uh, question concerning your finances? Who's driving your finances? Who's driving your finances? Who, who is in charge? Who is in the driver's seat? Um, you know, I, t I said many can ride along. But there can only be one driver. It, it, it's the, the, uh, it, is it the pursuit of a larger house or a nicer car or more materialistic things? Maybe it's debt that is driving you. Some of you go to work just to pay off debt, right? Maybe that's the driving force. But this is what the scripture says. You cannot serve God and money or, or more. Uh, other translations say mammon, which is another word for money. Okay, it's another way to say money. And um, money or mammon is more than nickels and dimes. Um, Jesus would actually liken mammon to a master, someone that, that is in charge of someone. Uh, mammon is this. If we allow it to be, money is this. It, it, it can be an idol, a, a god, a little g-o-d instead, uh, and, and we can put it before the capital G-O-D, Jehovah, Yahweh, Ananai, okay? Uh, we, can, we can put those things, and anything that you put between you and God is a, thank you, is an idol uh, in our lives. And so, uh, oftentimes, if, and that's why Jesus would say, 
you, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. You can't, you can't do both. And this is important to the believer because, hey, we have to have money, right? We have to live by money. And um, I love this in Paul in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 6.10, he would say this to a young uh, Timothy here. And, and you guys know this verse. It's, it, oftentimes it's misquoted because some people say, that money is the root of all evil, and that's not right. And you said it right, Cecilia. For the, what, love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So no, notice here, money is not evil, but money in the wrong hands can be evil. Right? It, the drive and the love for money can make people evil. The drive and the love for money can turn someone who is a good person to a criminal. Why? So that I can get rich fast or I could do this or it, it can help me out. Uh, maybe, maybe here's a good example right here. Uh, maybe climbing the corporate ladder to get a promotion and, and a raise. And you might be wanting to do that. But oftentimes when someone's trying to, to make more money or to go up corporately or to, to do the, these things, how often do they slander somebody so they can step on top of them and get to that higher position? It happens all the time. And, and oftentimes we treat people as if they were just dirt because what matters more, most to me is that I climb this corporate ladder or that I get this raise and you don't get this raise. We see corruption in companies and, and oftentimes in, in governments and, and how their drive to obtain money and to get uh, uh, rich quickly. And I was thinking about this uh, as I was preparing for this. I have a pastor friend in California that I served under uh, for, for a time. And he told me this story that he knew a, a young man about his age. He's a little bit older than me. Um, and when he was young, this young man had this pursuit. He was a young man. He was married. And his goal was simply this, was to become a millionaire. That was his goal. How many know that that's not a bad goal? That's not a bad goal. I mean, honestly, shoot for that goal. That's not a bad goal to do. But here's what happened to this man. His, his idea and his heart to become a millionaire, it caused a lot of consternation in his life. He worked a job. He worked a normal job. And then he had jobs that he did on the side away from his normal job, not prioritizing his time, only looking, letting the mighty dollar drive his time. So, you know, when he got off work, he went back to work to make more money because he was in this pursuit. He determined that that was what was important to him, working many jobs, many hours, his family life began to suffer. Do you see the picture? I mean, can you, can you just see this happening? His relationship with the Lord took a back seat to which money took the front seat because that was his whole purpose was, hey, I've got to become a millionaire and, and I have to do whatever. If I can just buy more land, if I can just buy one more beach house, if I can just buy one more investment. And this pastor told me that as a, a young man in a very, uh, when I was a young man, but this pastor told me in a very shepherd-like way, like a, like a pastor should, and he told me this one day. He said, young man, he said, do not let that be a pitfall in your life. He said, there's nothing wrong with obtaining money, um, but he said, I can tell you, I've seen it firsthand. It nearly destroyed this man's life. So... So you're saying, hey, maybe you're asking this question. Pastor, are you saying it's not good to have money? That's not what I'm saying at all. Matter of fact, there's nowhere in Scripture that says, hey, if you're a Christian, you can't have money. There's nowhere in Scripture that, that says that. It's, it, and oftentimes we see it, um, and we'll cover a little bit more of that uh, in another section. But uh, matter of fact, some denominations, listen, listen to me. Some denominations in churches have walked in a poor mentality they really take the verse blessed are the poor in spirit literally because they think that you know you can't have any kind of wealth but that's that's not true and the bible does not say there's wrong anything wrong with having wealth it all has to do with your heart and how how you obtain 
at wealth. So I want you to look at this. Um, if we look in the New Testament, we can see many wealthy people who followed Jesus and were used by God. <gasps> wow. Most of us don't ever think about that. Matter of fact, I'll give you one right here. How many know Joseph of Arimathea? Did Jesus borrow his tomb? Was he a wealthy guy? He had pre-planned his death. He already had his grave ready. He, he had finances, and God was able to use Joseph of Arimathea's resources for only three days. All right? But he used his resources for three days there. What about this? Simon. We talked about Simon in, in the last few weeks that I was talking about the resurrection. Simon, uh, the, the Pharisee. And what about Jairus? From Capernaum was the leader of, of the synagogue. That, that man had a lot of money. And, and most likely this, we don't ever think about this, most likely Matthew, the, the gospel writer, the tax collector, guess what? He was probably pretty well to do because you know what tax collectors did? They skimmed a little bit on the top and they gave to Rome what they needed to give to Rome and they made their money that way. It's pretty much kind of like what we do nowadays, right? But anyway, sorry, I'll, I'll divert from that. Um, but here's the thing. Not only were there rich people who followed Jesus, but there were also poor people who followed Jesus. And this is what we need to know. A relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with what fills your pockets, but what fills your heart. Amen? And so, uh, so you know, that mentality. But here, there's a balance here. There's a balance to this. There's a balance to this. So, um, if Jesus is not the dr in the driver's seat and money is... This is what can happen to you. Money, it can master your time. You devote all your time to making money. And, and here's what will happen. When it masters your time, it will take time and, and take you away from your family. Here's another thing that, that money will do. It will master your generosity. I make money because it's for me. It's my doing. I, I, I'm, and, we can, and this is what it takes from us. It makes us selfish. If we're not careful, it oftentimes, you know, one of the things, how many love a generous person? How many want to be a generous person? I want to be a generous person as much as I can. I want to love on people. But, but oftentimes, our selfish mentality, I'll tell you this story. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. One time when I was in California where, I, where we lived in Bakersfield, there's a lot of homeless people and a lot of transient people. And one time we stopped at Chick-fil-A. It wasn't Sunday because they're closed on Sunday. Um, but we stopped at Chick-fil-A with the family. And I remember getting out of the car. And as soon as I get out of the car, I saw this guy coming. How many know what I'm talking about? When someone approaches you and you're like, I already know this, this person's going to ask me for money. And this guy, he said, sir, do you have any money? And, I mean, he started in on a story. And I said, sir, I don't have any money. And, and so then he goes around the car to where my wife's getting out as if, you know, we're not in the same car. And she hops out. And I'm, at this point, I'm just kind of mad at him because I'm like, we are in the same car. And he's about to ask her for money. And I said, sir, I said, listen, I said, she doesn't have any money either because she's with me. And, and, he, and he looked at me. And he caught me off guard. And he said, you're stingy with your money. And then he walked off. And I went, Ugh. he dumbfounded me. And I didn't know what to say. I wanted to say something, but I didn't know what to say to him. Oftentimes, when money is our master, we lose our generosity, and it makes us selfish. Not that I was being selfish. I, I would have bought that guy food. That's typically what I do. If he would ask me for food, I would have went and brought, bought him food. Um, but it, it will master you. It will be an idol. It will become a priority, priority to you over the one true God. What happens with money? I'm, 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 hey, you ought to write this down. I, I think this is beautiful. I saw this. Economics is risky religion. Economics is risky religion. It, it is. You'll serve money or you'll serve God. It's like, it's like chasing two rabbits. Anybody ever chase two rabbits at the same time? You can't, you can't chase two rabbits. If they're going different directions, you're going to chase one or the other, right? And that's, that's what it is. You've got to choose one or the other. Money, money, it's important, right? It's important to us to the extent that how we think about it will impact how we behave with it. When you look at money through the right context, you're going to behave with it in the right context. But if you look at it through the wrong context, 
You're not going to handle it good. You know what I don't do? I don't give Novak $100 cash and go into Target. You know why? Because his context is there's an endless supply. Right? And so, so that's something. So how we, how we look at it through the lens. Now, he's young, so, I, you know, we got to cut him some slack. He's young, but how we look at it de- determines how we behave with it. And, and taking this one step further, how we think and behave with money reflects our spiritual condition. That's where it gets a little bit, the rubber's meeting the road now. Um, when we hoard money or are envious of other people's money or spend money we don't have, there's a good chance we've been seduced by money. Now look at this, Matthew uh, 6, 19 through 21. Jesus would go on further to say this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where the moth and the rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and their thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, or will be also. So think about this. I, I like Matthew's take on this. Um, Matthew, in all the um, synoptic gospels, he is he is the one who speaks the most about money. Why? Because he was a tax collector. Well, you read about Luke. He was a doctor. Guess what? You want to know about ailments? He he breaks them down in a better way. They all had their uh, advantages, and so. But he talks about money, and he warns us that money uh, uh, is uh, that warns us that where our hearts are. That's where our money goes. Giving, giving is not God's way of raising money. You know that? Giving is not God's way of raising. How, how, do you think God needs our money? No, he doesn't. But listen, listen to me. Here's the flip side of that. Remember, God can speak things to existence. God can speak things into existence. So, so our bit of money is not what God's after. Um, God is doing this. He's, he's not looking, he's not trying to raise money, but God is trying to raise children because he's looking for your heart. That's what God wants from you is your heart. Every time I give to the Lord, I'm giving some of my selfishness and some of my stinginess away and saying, God, take this. Lord, this is yours. Um, I, I, I love that. God doesn't, uh, and, and God doesn't need my money. He wants my heart. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. I, now listen to me. Don't take that out of context. Well, the pastor said don't give money. That's not what I'm saying because there's, there's further review to that. But you understand the context of, of, of that statement is this. God is after your heart. And if your heart is right, you'll give to God abundantly and say, God, I trust you with this. Here you go. Um, going a little bit deep, deeper, we all struggle with letting the Lord be the only driver in our life. Um, I don't know about you, this, I do this. I like to compartmentalize my life. Lord, I'll give you this, but I'm not going to give you my money. God, I'll give you my time, but I'm not going to give you this. God, I'll give you my Sundays, but don't ask me for my Wednesdays. Right? And so, uh, but God, Jesus wants to be in the driver's seat. And here's the thing. What I learned a long time ago and what I'm still learning is this. My tendency is I want to grab the wheel and help Jesus drive this thing. But really, the best thing I can do is just sit back in the back seat and just let Jesus take me where he wants to take me and just be like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? And so the issue is simple. Whom will you serve? Serve God or are you going to serve money? Um, Why did Jesus make such a tough statement? Because and I say this because he knew that our relationship with God would be deeply impacted by our relationship with money. Some of you say, ah, I don't know about that, Pastor. I don't know. If we worry about money, then we won't be trusting in God. Anybody ever done that? I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill this month. I don't, you know, the car went out. I've got to, man, how am I going to take care of this? When we're worrying about that, when we should be just trusting God and saying, God, you're, you're a way maker. Somehow you're going you're to work this thing out for me. 
it's, it's crazy to me. I, I've got so many stories I could tell you how God has been so faithful in times that I, where I just trusted him. And if we're chasing after money, then it's doubtful that we're chasing after God and trying to advance the kingdom. So if the rabbit's going this way, we're chasing after money, and the kingdom of God is going this way, or, and we're not, we're not chasing after God, we're, not, we're, we're missing the point. So what does God's word say about money? Um, uh, money, is, and he gives a warning messages. God wants nothing to come between him and us. Nothing. He wants nothing to come in between him and us, including money. Including money. And sometimes God prevents people from gaining wealth because he knows that it will do them harm. All of us say, Lord, bless me. Give me a million dollars, right? Lord, bless me. Lord, if, if I could just get a million dollars, somehow all my problems will be solved. But you don't know the corruption that might happen in your life if you were to obtain that thing. Amen? And so we have to learn to trust him. It's not, it's not he's not trying to deny people. He's trying to protect us and sometimes we don't even understand the protection that we need amen I have kids and sometimes my kids don't even know the protection as a parent that I give them that they don't even realize that I'm protecting them and even my parents know what I'm talking about right you you step in you step in the gap so so what is your priority and this is the question I want to end on with this point right here is is Jesus in the driver's seat in your life concerning money Okay, here's number two. The second thing Jesus said about, uh, about money is this, on contentment. Everyone say contentment. Contentment, if you look up the definition, it's simple definition, is this. It is the state of satisfaction. How many after you eat a big meal, you go and you, 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 you get dessert and you sit on the couch and you dip your spoon or whatever you're eating Say, say you've got a nice peach cobbler with ice cream. Boy, I'm talking about food. I'm getting excited up in here. Whew. Anyways, so, so and you just ate dinner and you're sitting there and you eat, that, you eat that peach cobbler with ice cream. And, man, you're just like, whew, I am satisfied in this moment. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. And, and here's what contentment is. Content, contentment is this. It's a biblical trait. Um, and I want to let you look at this. Go jump over to Luke chapter 11. And Jesus would say something here. And he says something in the Lord's Prayer. It's very brief, but it, it has to do with contentment. And, and, and I'll, I'll show you really fast. It says this. Luke 11.3 says this. And read it with me. Give us each day our daily bread. Say it again. Give us each day our daily bread. And this prayer or request, when we say this, it, it recognizes that one is dependent on God for daily needs. Lord, give me today my daily needs, the bread that I need, what I need to survive, how, what I need. And God, God truly cares about your needs. So, uh, so if you need a little subheading on contentment, you can write this. I like, today's supply is enough for today. Today's supply is enough for today. Today's supply is enough for today. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never uh, come to an end. Verse 23, they are what? New every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God created the 24-hour day. And that's something that we take for granted. But what I love about God is God gives us a fresh start every day. Amen? Every day. You get up, man, it is a fresh start. In Exodus chapter 16, we see the Lord providing the Israelites manna from heaven. They're out in the wilderness, and, and, um, and they're out there in the wilderness. They could not farm. Their water was scarce, and they had a need. But God saw fit to meet their need by dropping manna every day. Man, how cool would that be if you just had to walk out every day and get your need, your supply of food for the day and take it in. That's amazing. That's, that's, that's how good our God is. 
they would they would go out and they would they would pick up and gather man, manna, manna for and usually it, it, two days. So that it would last two days in the evening. And this is even better, man. This is for all my hunting people. Of course, they didn't have shotguns back then. And in the evening, the quail would come in and they would have quail and manna. How many know that quail is the filet mignon of birds? Man, all right. So uh, I love that. And so uh, the the manna was only was only good for a bit, for a time. It could not be stored up in excess or abundance. It was supposed to only be used for a daily supply. So why would God do this? And this is it. This is it. Okay. Now we're talking about the heart, going back to the heart, back to the heart of it. God wanted them to rely on him every day. You know what God wants you to do? Rely on him each and every day. In every place, whether that be need for food, whether that be need for money. And so it's interesting. So, so, to, so, so too does God want you and I to rely on him each and every day. The principle is this, is, is praying for God to meet our daily needs. And in the Old Testament, we see this picture of the Israelites living it out. That's awesome, huh? That is awesome. How many believe that God can meet your everyday need? How many believe that God can meet your everyday need? I, 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 I mean, I'm here to, to stand today to tell you that God meets my needs every day. And, and knowing this, it starts with this. It starts with contentment. Knowing that contentment is walking in satisfaction. And how many would be honest and say concerning uh, that you are struggling a little bit in satisfaction on the wage that you get in your job? Anyone ducking, anyone hiding, no one wants to raise their hand. I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want to raise my hand, right? Here's the thing. We're not always content. We, we always want more, right? How many would love a raise? Yeah, some of you are lying up in here. But here's the thing. It's about contentment. It's about getting my daily supply met. Understanding that God is taking care of me, that God has given me all that I need to survive. I love this. Uh, I, 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 it's, it's just beautiful. You know, greed is the enemy of contentment. And I'll talk about greed in a, in a few, in a, I think a week or so. Greed is the, the enemy of contentment. I want more. I want more. You know who the most greedy, greedy person I know? Well, not person. The greedy, most greedy thing I know? My dog. My dog is the most greedy thing, you because know, guess what? If I will sit there and throw treats at him, he will sit there. If I throw potato chips at him, he will sit there until I run out. If I throw popcorn, he will sit there. And no matter what, if I just keep giving it to him, he'll just take it. He is greedy. One day I made a quesadilla, and he jumped up on the counter and grabbed it. I'm still mad at him about that. Greed is the enemy of contentment. And, and the Israelites would learn this lesson as God instructed them to keep, not to keep too much manna from the day before, but trust God for the new supply every day. I, I love that. It's so good. It's such a, and listen, listen, if you're here and you're struggling, listen, in your finances, whatever the case Learn to walk in contentment because God will bless you. You'll be surprised at, at how God can work through that. First Timothy 6, 6 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Woo, walk upright, walk in contentment. That's great gain. For we, we brought nothing into this world. Uh, how many have heard your parents say this? I brought you into this world and I'll take you out, right? Uh, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. And, you know, I, I heard that story of the rich man. It's like, well, I'm going to take all my money with me. Well, guess what? It's useless down in your grave. It's useless. So look at this. Verse 8 says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into uh, senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Um, some teach today that godliness will bring riches or gain that, that will make you content. 
That's backwards. That's not what Paul's saying here. Um, Paul is actually teaching here to Timothy. He's saying this, gain lies in godliness with contentment. I'm walking upright. I'm doing what the Lord's asked me to do, and I'm being content in the things that he has given me. The money that he's given me, I'm being a good steward of what he's put over me. So why would, why would Paul say this in Psalm 84, 11, the second part of that verse? It says, no good thing, uh, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So when you walk in righteousness, you know, God wants to bless you. God wants to pour out a blessing on your life. And so you, you, have, to, you have to know that. So uh, I don't know if I believe that, you may say. And, I, and I, I, I walk right with the Lord. And I don't get a new car. And, and everyone else gets a new car. And I don't have one. Well, if that's the case that you don't get a new car, maybe the Lord knows that that new car is not good for you. Oh, perspective. Never really thought about that. Well, just because the Joneses got a car doesn't mean that, I hope no one's last name is Joneses in here. Um, just because the Joneses got a car <laughs> doesn't mean that you have to get a car. See, God knows best. Be content in the one that's paid off. Amen? It may sound terrible when you turn, but it works. And it will get you from point A to point B. And Jesus obviously is the perfect example of contentment. One of the, one of the things that kept Jesus in peace uh, on, in this life when he walked on this earth was his con- contentment with what the Father had given him. He had everything that he needed. Jesus would be content with the Father's gifts materially and otherwise he, he kept resting in the joys of another world. How can he do that? Even with the struggles in this world were playing out around him, he could just trust in peace because God had given him all he needed for the day. What a powerful place to be. Matthew 6, 25 says the Lord, the Lord tells us that uh, uh, there is more than what we are going to eat and wear. It's normal. Okay, some of us get up and we're already thinking about lunch. First thing we get up, like we get, you eat breakfast. How many plan lunch at breakfast? All right, so there's more to life than, than what you're going to eat. Some of us get up and we worry about what we're going to wear for the day, even though we've got a closet slammed with clothes. I've got nothing to wear. Really? Especially here in America, right? And, and so, and he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or wear. And we say, oh, well, that's easy. That's easy for you to say, Jesus. That's easy for you to say. And so here, here's two reasons you can write these down, why, why you can trust Jesus and be content like Jesus was here on earth. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 30, um, this is what we know. And so how many believe that God can do greater things? So if God can do greater things, surely he can do lesser things. Amen? So if God can do the big thing, God can take care of the small thing. Right? So First John, uh, or John 1, 3 says this, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, that's a really weird grammatically placed sentence there. Basically, what that's saying is all things were made by God, and he created them. If, if God, look at me, if God took the time to create you, uh, you know how many cells are in your body? 30 to 40 trillion. That's insane, right? If God took the time and made such detail, what makes you think that he doesn't care about your needs? Oh, so here's the financial spin on this. If if spending so much time uh, to give you divine life and fashioning this body, knowing us physically, he knows us physically, emotionally, spiritually, down to the smallest minute cell and detail about us, why would he stop short to make sure that you had something to eat tomorrow? That's amazing when you think about it. Here's a second point. How many believe that God can do the lesser things now? All right. If God can do the lesser things, why wouldn't God do the greater things? Right? If God can do the small things, why wouldn't he do the big things? I love this. Matthew chapter 6, 26, it says this. Oh, I love this verse. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? 
If God will take care of the birds of the field, he'll take care of you. You know what? My wife has some bird feeders that she has, and she loves them. And she loves to put, well, I, we take turns, but mostly I put seed in them. But she loves to sit and watch the bird feeders and watch the birds come. And she says, the birds amaze me because one bird will be sitting there eating and, it'll, and the other one will be patiently waiting until that one leaves and then it'll come up and it'll take what it needs. And, then, and it's amazing. But, you know, God can even use Tristan to feed the birds. Amen. So God will give you a daily supply of food. He will give you, if God can feed Elijah with ravens, he can feed you. Right? I, 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 it's, it's amazing to me. So uh, he can take care of you. It is his daily bread. Something that we take, to, that we shorten sometimes, not shorten bread, I guess. <laughs> That's another word. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 or 27 and 28 says this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour uh, to the span of life? That's not one you want to quote to your wife when she's panicking or anxious. You get slapped if you do that one. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Some of us need to hang that over our closet. Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't, they don't worry about it. They just exist. God created them. He, he loves them. If God will adorn the lilies, uh, and they're beautiful, right? But even more beautiful than them. And, and, and verse 29 says that the, that the lilies are adorned and, and more beautiful than the garments that Solomon wore. That they were, that God cares about them so much that he, he made them beautiful. He adorns the grass of the field that, and knowing that it's going to be cut and thrown into the furnace is what I, th- I believe verse 32 says. And God puts grass in your yard and you see it grow knowing, and it's beautiful, knowing that you're going to ride over it with your mower. Right? Right now I have these little, little purple flowers. I don't even know what they are growing all over my yard and I love it. I have dandelions growing all over my yard. I don't know if I love those. Those things multiply like nothing I've ever seen. But, but, but here's the thing. If God will adorn those things, why wouldn't he take care of your need for clothes? Why, why wouldn't he do that? I, I, I was, I, it was amazing. Last night I had this conversation, but one of my former pastors I talked to, I don't know why I'm talking about all my former pastors, but uh, pastor I served under in Texas, he was young, and he was an evangelist, and I mean, he, I think, started at 16 years old, preaching all over the nation, and he's an outstanding man of God, and he tells this story of he was invited to go preach at a church, and he borrowed his dad's car um, to go preach at at this uh, church, and he went and preached a week's revival, spent all his money to get to this place. And when he left that revival, they paid him minimal, next to nothing, basically. He walked out of there with basically nothing. It's not why why we do it. If he was here, he'd say, that's not why I did it. And he said he found himself at leaving there, trying to get home, um, just really down and a and, and little bit depressed in his heart. And, and he said he was sitting there um, driving through Texas. Anybody ever been to Texas? And the little towns in Texas, almost every little town has a train going through it somewhere. You're going to have to run into some train tracks somewhere. And he, he was going through town, and there was a train loading and moving grain. And he was sitting there, and he was just kind of murmuring to himself and upset about the situation and not sure why God hadn't provided and, and these things. And he was sitting there, and as he was sitting there, he noticed all these birds sitting there. And while he was sitting there, the, uh, they, the trains were backing up and re- reconnecting. In the process of them backing up the train, there was a dip in the train track and, and causing the car, when it went through this dip, this car full of grain began to spill over and grain began to hit the ground and all the birds came down. He said in that moment, God reminded him, hey, and his name's Gary, and he said, Gary, if I'll take care of those birds, I'll take care of you. And, and so it's the same thing for us. That It's a beautiful story. If God will take care of the birds, if he'll take care of the lilies, if he'll take care of the grass, he'll take care of you. How many believe that? 
I want to be content in what I do. Matthew 6.32 says that the Heavenly Father knows what we have need before we even ask. You know, God knows about all your needs, cares about all your 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 wants. He he knows about them. He 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 knows what your needs are be, be, because he meets uh, every uh, he meets every day. Every day he has something new for us. Is what I'm trying to say. I don't know what I'm what I'm trying to get at. So it becomes our daily bread. Amen. How many would say in the morning when you get up, Lord, give me my daily bread. God, I will be content on what you give me today. Lord, if all I eat today is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch, I am going to be content in that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Amen. And God, God help me to be content in my daily finances, in my, in my health, in my time, in my food, in my clothes that you give me. Uh, Philippians, I was talking to a man Friday, um, had a chance to go to IU and talk to some uh, uh, the, one of the Christian organizations up there. And while I was up there, I was talking to this, this man about this particular verse, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is a very, a very uh, powerful, potent verse that is misquoted all the time. But it, it, it is this, verse 11 says this, that not that I'm speaking of being in need. So Paul is talking to the Philippians here because they're, they have sent him a, an offering, a blessing. And he's saying this, not that I'm speaking of, of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. Everyone say content. Look at this, verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to, be, to abound. And in and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Verse 13, right here. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, I love that. So it is in, in that knowing, God, you can help me to be content in what I have. Amen. And Paul says, God is with me. I can do everything through him, including being content. In every situation, I love Paul. Paul went through terrible things, good things, bad things. He was up and down. And in the, any, uh, in the amount of money that I have for the day, the amount of food and clothes that I have, the car that works, the house that's keeping me dry at night. That is why in our, uh, when our heart is right in priority, Jesus is the driver's seat. Our heart will not worry or be concerned because we can trust in him and we can know that he is going to to be our daily provider, amen? Put Jesus in the right seat, all right? Be content with what he's doing every day. Here's the next one, Matt, uh, Matthew uh, 6.30 says, after, uh, after talking about how God takes care of the birds and the flowers, the grass, he asked this simple question. Jesus asked this sim simple question. He says, won't God take care of you? And then he says, oh, you, oh ye of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. So here's the last one, talking about finances here on faith, all right? Faith. Closely related to the importance of contentment is the imperative of faith, okay? Is the imperative faith. The two of these travel in a pack, if you really want to think about it. It takes the element of faith to be content in the Lord's supply. I'm going to have to trust God to be content with what I have. And, so, so, and it takes contentment to learn to trust in God. I'm, I'm going to be content because I know God's going to provide. Uh, armed with faith in God whose abundance is beyond calculation, right? We know that God can provide more than we can even calculate and even know, right? Um, and, and contentment with God is sufficient in all of our needs. So look at this, Luke chapter 11, verse 9. I like this. Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Um, here's, here's, the, here's the heading, if you need a heading on faith. This one right here. When there is lack, there is opportunity for belief. When there is lack, there is opportunity for belief. How many have ever lacked something? That's an opportunity for God to step in and, and move in your situation. So, so faith is not only the ground upon on which we, we enter into uh, the saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's also intended to be our onboard navigation system for our whole life. Our faith leads and directs us, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says this, we walk by, not by, we walk by, not by sight. So it's this navigation system that God, God has created for us. And this, this principle works 
in our approach to money as well as it does with everything else. When starting uh, thinking about faith and money in the same sentence, most of us have our preconceived antennas go up and they're like, oh, pastor's about to ask for an offering, faith and money, right? Uh, right? You start thinking about people with big hairdos and lots of makeup and televangelists asking, sow a seed today, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. That's all right. And, and we think of, of, of that. But, but here's the thing. If we get hung up in the danger of those things and throwing, we, we, we're in danger of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Because there are some good things in there. We'll miss the actual truth about what Jesus said on the subject. You see, money is something that, that we've been given by God, right? The amount of money that you have, God has given it to you. He's put trust that you're going to be a good steward of that money that he's given you. Uh, I love that. And so that's, that's something that's beautiful. It's a vehicle that, that, that we can operate in. And so Jesus told us in the parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, about a widow who keeps going to a judge. And she keeps appealing to the judge. It kind of reminds me of one of my kids. And she just keeps saying, give me justice against my adversary. And he keeps telling her no. And she just keeps asking and asking and asking and asking. Anybody got any kids like that? Just keep asking and asking and asking. And finally, this judge just out of like, okay, I've had enough. Any of you parents know what I'm talking about? I've had enough. I'm going to go ahead and answer this right now. Okay, and I'm going to let you go because you just are persistent and you won't stop. Anybody got any headstrong kids like mine? All right, I won't tell you which ones are headstrong. But, um, but it's in the last bit of this parable, uh, Jesus asked the question, um, when, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith like this on earth? Sometimes we ask God once and we give up. Sometimes we ask God twice and we give up. And it's not the amount of asking, but, but I believe what, what this particular parable is talking about is our willingness to go to the Lord and ask in faith. So uh, I, I like this. If you look at Luke 11.5, um, it talks about someone who goes to his neighbor's house at midnight how many would love your neighbor to go to your house at midnight and ask you for three loaves of bread? Excuse me. I know you're asleep, but can I get three loaves of bread? Some of them might be met with a, you know. Um, and, and this parable, this parable uh, talks about an un unexpected guest that had come to their house. And this person is just persistent sitting there and asking the, the neighbor that is the lender, hey, um, hey, can I get some bread? Can I borrow some loaves of bread? And this guy's like, listen, I'm already in bed. The kids are asleep. I don't want to give up. But his persistence in asking the lender is finally like, okay, I'm going to get you some bread. Leave me alone, you know. But Luke chapter 11, 9, it says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. So the key to these parables is this. Here's the key to these parables. Persistence. How persistent are you in asking in faith to the Lord? Persistence. Well, uh, what if God doesn't answer my prayer the way that I thought he would? Well, this is the, the key to this story is that the widow and the neighbor uh, with the guest knew the starting point. And the midpoint and the end point. So Jesus is the beginning to your answer. He's the middle of your answer. And Jesus is the end of your answer. Jesus is the answer, okay? So we, we've got to understand that. No matter where we're at, we, got, we have to understand that we have to go to Jesus. And this is what I know about Jesus. He always gives perfect answers. Sometimes I go to the Lord and say, Lord, will you, will you do this? And the Lord says, no. And I have to be okay with that and say, okay, God, I trust you in this. You know something better is, it is coming along. And sometimes I go to the Lord and say, Lord, will you do this? And God's like, sure will. And he answers my prayer. And sometimes I go to the Lord and I'm like, Lord, will you do this? And God's like, not yet. Let's wait. And that happens in our lives. And sometimes, here's the thing about we have to be discerning to what God is speaking and understand that. So, and, and his ways are higher than ours, right? His ways are higher. His ways are better than ours. And it's about faith and trusting in him. So, I want to look at this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. I love this little bit of scripture. 
uh, the, uh, this is Paul, and he's talking about um, giving here. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. All right? Each, each one must uh, give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? Ooh. If you listen, we love a cheer, God loves a cheerful giver. I say this, God loves a cheerful, cheerful giver, but we'll take it from any old grouch that wants to give around here. I'm just joking. That's a joke. Verse 8, no, we'll take it for real. All right, verse 8. And God is able to make all uh, grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times you may abound in every good work. So um, if you look at this, the gift of faith or blessing financially that, that we uh, give must come from our heart. Not a reluctant place, not a compulsive place, but it, it, God, I, I, this is my gift to you today, Lord. I, it may be a small amount, but God, this is my gift. This, this is what I'm going to give to you. Um, God, God loves a cheerful giver. If you look at that, the meaning, uh, the, if you, another rendering of that, it says God loves a hilarious giver. <laughs> Sometimes I've given hilariously like that, right? <laughs> I hope it all works out. But God loves a cheerful giver and, and, and one who gives generously in faith. Now listen, listen, whether it's in time. I don't know what's going on. Whether it's in money, whether it's in talent, or whether it's in energy. Can I tell you this? Uh, whether it's in time, this is what I know. When you give God your time, he'll multiply it. When you give God your money, he'll multiply it. When you give God your talent, he'll multiply it. When you give God your energy, he'll multiply it. When we trust God faithfully and give with a cheerful heart, he will multiply what we give. I remember at one point in my life, uh, and, and I'll end on this story and I'll wrap up really fast here. I remember one point in my life, I, I was living, uh, I, I was, me and Tristan weren't married yet, and I was working a very tough job. I was, I was greasing trucks and changing tires at a, at, for a trucking company. <laughs> He's going to get it off here in a minute. Um, and, and, and I was greasing trucks. Anybody ever grease trucks? Man, that is a, that is a, that is a, that is a dirty job. It's a humbling job. And, and I was doing that, and I wasn't making very much money, and I was barely surviving. And, but I was, I was doing my best to be faithful. I was attending church, trying to do what was right. And, and I remember um, I, was, I paid all my bills with my paycheck. I got it on Friday. I paid all my bills, and I went to church, and I had all I had left in my little pocket was $20 that was going to have to last me for a week. Whew. Anybody ever been there? All right. That's where I was at. And I remember I just thought, well, I'll just go to church. And I'll never forget while I was in church, the Lord spoke to me and said, give that $20 in the offering. And I was like, Lord, how am I going to eat this week? Like, literally, like, what? I'm $20 is, I can buy at least a few packs of ramen and survive, right? But how am I going to survive on $20? And I, I remember thinking that. And, and God said, just give it. And so I, I gave it. Not with a cheerful heart, a reluctant heart, a little bit in my, that moment. And I cried as it went into the offering plate. No, I didn't. I felt like it, but I didn't. And I'll never forget, God just showed me his faithfulness. And when I was leaving church, for no reason at all, and I was like, well, I guess I'll figure it out this week. And I was leaving church, the pastor said, hey, TJ. And I was like, what? He goes, can I take you out to eat tonight? I said, yes, you can. You sure can. I didn't, I didn't hesitate on that one. And I remember I went out to eat, and I got food. My belly was filled that night. And I'll never forget, as I was leaving the restaurant, he said, hey, TJ, come here. No lie. He pulls out money out of his pocket. He says, God just told me to give this to you. And yet it was the amount that I put in the offering. He couldn't have known that. And so I learned something in that moment that when I'm faithful, God is more faithful. He was abundantly above my need. Like I thought $20. I got a meal and $20. Amen. 
and God took care of me, and, and that's what I've learned. So here, here we this quick wrap-up. Jesus, here's number one. The priority in money is this. Jesus needs to be the, in the driver's seat. Can't have two masters. It's, it's, it's only going to be one, God or money. Secondly, we got to learn to be content in all situations. Trust the daily bread that God gives you. Trust it. Trust it. Just trust him in that. Be content in that. Don't look at your neighbor and say, man, I wish I had it. Be content in your old clunker that's driving out in the, out in the driveway. Amen. Here's, here's the next thing. Thirdly, we have to learn to walk in faith in our finances and so sparingly for the kingdom of God. I'm going to get a little bit further into that as we go along. All right. Will you bow your heads with me? I just want to pray with you. God, I know that this is maybe a tough subject for, for some people, but, Lord, it is an uh, important subject. God, when we talk about money and, Lord, and how you you use money. But, God, I pray, Lord, that money would not grip our hearts, but that you would grip our hearts. Lord, that, that money is just something uh, that you use, God, for the kingdom of God. Lord, that you use to advance us. Lord, that you use to bless us with. But, God, through this, God, I pray, Lord, that it would be not in the driver's seat in our life, but, Lord, that you would be in the driver's seat in our life. God, that that everything that we have, Lord, belongs to you first. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to put you in the right place, God, and don't let us be driven uh, by money. God, there's nothing wrong with, with obtaining wealth. There's nothing wrong with those things, nothing at all. Uh, but, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would not be a distraction to our relationship with you. God, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be content in all things, Lord, in, in how, we, how we live. God, that we would be understand that your daily bread is sufficient. Lord, that you open doors every day. Lord, your mercies are renewed. God, help us to gather the manna, Lord, that you've given us for the day. God, I pray, Lord, that you would also, Lord, help us to move in faith, God, in our finances. That, God, you've blessed us. God, you've blessed this body tremendously. Lord, you've blessed this church tremendously. But, Lord, help us to trust you. God, as we uh, continue to, to uh, further the kingdom of God, I pray, Lord, you bless every heart in here, every soul in here. God, I pray, Lord, that those who need peace in their mind, Lord, that there would be peace in their mind. God, I pray look, those who need joy in their heart would leave with joy in their heart. And God, will give you the praise and the glory. In the